How's it going? Welcome back to SoCal Watch Reviews, episode 17. I am Miguel. On the line, of course, we got P and we got our friend Fred from Shalu, so he just can't stay away from us. <laughs> How's it going, guys? Good, uh, good. How's it, everyone it, doing? It's uh, going pretty gay. great, guy. You know, I mean, you know, we're doing it. Doing it big. Doing it big. Big in 2028. <laughs> <laughs> These invitations are getting out of control. I don't even know who that was. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on here, guys. Oh man, we had Yo. too much fun in the last episode. Do you guys agree? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It wasn't sure. bad. It wasn't bad. For sure. Yeah, for sure. So sure. wrist check. What what is everybody wearing? What do you guys got? You can go for it. Uh, I am wearing the Steinhardt Ocean One GMT on a nice leather strap. And it's been a while since I wore this watch, actually. But nice. uh, it still looks pretty cool. Like, I enjoy sort of un-Rolex tying it. So I got the leather strap on it. But it's a pretty cool watch. The only thing that annoys me, though, is I realized the other day it doesn't, like, it doesn't uh, click in both directions, which is really, really annoying sometimes. Because if you accidentally knock the bezel, it's like you have to go all the way around again. Mm. Which, like, for a dive bezel makes sense. But for this, it's like, should be able to go both ways. But, oh, well. I guess she's stuck with a uh, a one way bezel. <laughs> so, question: Steinhardt. I know they're like homage watches, but to to the higher kind of end of the of the market. What did? How, if you don't mind me asking, how much did you end up picking this one up for? This was I bought it directly from their site, so it was in euros. It was like four or five hundred euros, if I remember Ooh, right. So that's something like, like six hundred bucks or something, like six seven hundred bucks. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of money, man. What kind of movement does it have in it? It has an ETA two eight nine three, which is obviously a modification of the ETA two eight nine two. So date uh, has about forty eight hours power reserve, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Hand winding. Not beans. cost not cost certified, but still keeps great time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the last time I checked it was doing about minus, sorry, no, plus six seconds a day, which for one, that's, that's not, not like, it doesn't boast about being like super accurate or anything. It's pretty good. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a nice watch. It's, it's nice and well built. Like it doesn't feel rickety or anything like that. Like I bought it as sort of a uh, semi beater to like give some break time to my Omega. Um, but also like just got, I didn't want to scratch it up. Dang. But also hey. like it's, it's a pretty cool watch. Um, like, I know you can get other homages that are much cheaper, but I wanted to still get something that, you know, was good quality and was solid and would last a while. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy with it. Wow. AP, hey, so this Yo. guy, so check it out. So Fred gets a beater that costs six, 700 bucks. What the heck? <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's pretty crazy. Well, Etta, Etta Movement, let's just, let's just talk a little bit about that. So Etta has been, and we could make a whole episode about this, but... I know Etta's been uh, going through some things, right? I mean, uh, the, the the Swatch Group got uh, got uh, reprimanded. I guess is what you can say. Uh, I don't know if it was because they the the Swiss Group or Swiss Law, whatever, felt that uh, that Etta was almost like a monopoly, and a lot mm. of these smaller uh, watch makers or watch uh, movement makers didn't really have a chance. So now there's this whole thing about Etta, right? Fred P, have you guys heard about that? No. Yeah, they uh, pretty much like so apparently coming up to 2020, there was apparently an agreement where they were going to be allowed to have full control of whoever they want to sell to after having like five, six years of um, of like slowly ramping down how much they would sell to other people. Mm-hmm. And now the um, the governing body, I forget what the acronym is for um for like for Swiss watchmaking has pretty much did a, did a 180 turn and said instead of them being able to pick and choose who they sell to, now they just can't sell to anyone. Mm. So can they? So they could do within the the Swatch Group, but they not outside of the Swatch, watch? Group, okay. but not but not outside. So that creates a whole bunch of problems because obviously there are still a ton of manufacturers that depend on ETA to um of course yeah to like provide them with uh, with movements. 
but also like the fact that it's still really ambiguous. I think it's only like they've imposed this ban for like a year and then they'll review it. But obviously, like, you know, with some of these orders, you have to make them a few years in advance. There's certain quotas and stuff like that that they previously had to do, but now they can't even honor those. So it's, it's a pretty fucked up situation for uh, for Swatch Group in that respect. Wow. Mm. Yeah, they'll be okay, though. They got Omega. They got all these heavy hitting. And this is good news for Salida. So very good news for Salida. And, of course, I, I don't even want to say Seiko so, because we're talking different things, NH35s and, and all the other movements. But, but bad so, news for a lot of those smaller manufacturers that still depended on ETA. So what what are they saying? They basically cornered the market with ETA movements. Yeah, I mean, like they said they had too much power. And then, you know, mm. like they were supposed to slowly phase out so they could let other other companies sort of come in and sort of, I guess, restore a bit of balance. Mm. But now well, they've pretty much just screwed them over. I mean, well, not completely, because at the end of the day, I think only 500,000 movements or so, they actually sell outside of the Swatch Group. Mm. Out of like six million that they make per year. Oh, okay. right. But still, right. you know, that's that's business they thought they were going to get that they weren't going to get. And I that's think true. the bigger losers are the smaller watch manufacturers that thought they were getting out of movements now need to go to Salida or to a Seiko mm. or to another watch manufacturer. That's uh, another manufacturer. But they're still able to do it within their own group, just not yeah. outside. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. Just outside. Okay. That's not like Edo's yeah. going away, but it's within the group. So, no. Right. Do you know? Yeah, like they're... Hamilton, Tissot, all those brands, uh, Longines, the movements there done for Omega, all those, like, those brands won't suffer because they're all part of this watch. Right. Group. But it's just the external ones that will have some trouble. So, are, well, so what you're saying is they can't sell any movements whatsoever outside of the Swatch Group? Or is it just like a limited number? Or... From what I understand, it's they can't sell any. They can't sell it. That's kind mm. of messed up, though. I mean, that's good. So, yeah. how do they? I, I, I mean, I get the fact that they're trying to control it and they're, maybe they were a monopoly, but. You can't just cut them off. I mean, that's kind of messed up. But yeah, whatever. Right. I mean, so what? 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 Uh, watch brands are affected by this outside of the Swatch Group. Mm. Uh, in terms of big brands, things like mm-hmm. Breitling, Tag Heuer, Mind, IWC. I mean, a lot of mm. these, like since Etta started reducing their supply, um, a lot of them have started moving towards in-house movements. Like uh, Tag Heuer recently, they nixed the um, Caliber Eleven, which was a ETA two eight nine two. Whether they do part of the prize module on top, or mm-hmm. sometimes as they say it was a SW300 Salida, but they've mm. killed that and put the Hoyer 02 in house movement in that. Um, Breitling obviously has the B01 and a lot of other derivative calibers based on that. Um, so, like a lot of companies have started to already sort of deal with that either by switching to Salida or going by in house, but <laughs> still, like if you think a lot of those smaller no name ones, like Steinhardt, for example, they, um, they had to switch to Salida. Mm. Like they did that before this changeover just now in 2020. But a lot of brands, smaller brands have started, have had to sort of switch away from that. And I just imagine all those ones who hadn't already started moving away are probably sitting, you know, looking at a 2020 where they don't have any movements coming in. Mm. Why not Tudor? Tudor was one too, right? At a movement at one point, and then they went in-house uh, and stuff like yeah. that, I think. Yeah. yeah. Tudor's another one who's been moving in-house. It'd be interesting for them, especially because um, I don't think they've done any Salidas. And I don't know what how Rolex is going to play that one out. Yeah. So, no, for sure. Well, but I know... then again, they could find movements from other things. I mean, they do the uh, – they source their chronograph from Brightling, for example. I can imagine there must be another sort of high-ish end – movement manufacturer that they'll probably sort their movements from. That's actually a good point. I'd be curious to see what Tudor does about it. But can you mm. imagine how much money it costs to manufacture a movement? I mean, you got to bring special tools, special people. I mean, it's a lot of money. So these big brands, like you said, Breitling, Tudor, whatever, I don't think they'll be so affected. I mean, yeah, they got to invest some money. But a lot of these smaller guys, they just have to look at something else. There's no possible way they could uh, make their own movement. Like, Christopher Ward. I mean, that was a micro brand right there that gets my yeah. kudos for doing other movements. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know what, we're just going to make our own movement. And they did. I mean, deep pockets for sure. Right. Commendable, you know, but, uh, but yeah, that's pretty interesting. And I mean, that's a whole different discussion. How do we feel about in-house movements versus kind of off the shelf movements? You know what I mean? So I, I, I personally, 
like the fact that a company is able to do their own movement because if I'm buying something, it's like buying a car, right? I want to make sure that Honda made all the parts, you know, not, oh, well, the motor is from this other place and the this are from this other place, So, but I'm buying a Honda. No, you're not. You're buying a Franken watch, basically, or a Franken car. Really, let's call it what it is because that's kind of the way that I look at it, but uh, whatever. But on the flip <laughs> side, you look at something like a Pagani, which has an AMG engine, you know, Italians make amazing engines, but they're not exactly known for their reliability. Correct. So, like, right. there's a case where it's, like, you'd kind of be happy that they outsource the difficult, like, not the difficult part, but that particular part. You'd be happy that they outsource that to AMG, who really know their shit, you know? Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. So, P, what are you wearing today? <laughs> uh, I am wearing a Timex Marlin vintage from 1973. Super cool. Automatic, yes, sports. What are we talking about? It's a uh, it's manual one. Oh, that's yeah. super cool. Thirty four. Yeah, thirty four. Uh, thirty five. Thirty five. Thirty five. That's cool. Yeah. Have it on a leather strap, NATO. Whatever. Yeah, let 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 the black leather strap, bro. That's cool. I know you're a yes, big sir. big Timex guy, so hopefully Timex will disappoint <laughs> this year, and uh, they'll come up with some cool stuff in twenty twenty. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm waiting on it. Nice, nice. Well, today, in honor of our topic, which is the Omega Speedmaster Caliber 321, I am wearing my vintage 1990s Omega Speedmaster uh, automatic. So this thing is super cool. Panda dial, patina on the uh, indices right there is a super cool. Obviously, the loom is gone on this thing, but it has a very crema patina. Crema, sorry, I'm speaking Spanish now on this podcast. Creamy patina on this uh, <laughs> on on the indices, and I I really love this watch. I obviously bought it because I couldn't afford the Speedmaster Professional. This was a lot less. But I don't regret it. I'm actually really happy with this thing. And I just recently changed the strap on it to a, a strap from cheapestnatostraps.com. Uh, Quality is not great, but it's very affordable. So it's, it's cool. It's, it's, it's a cheap way to change the look on a watch. You change the strap. We talked about it before. So that's what I'm wearing today. Um, and this does have a Valgy movement in it. Uh, super loud, that rotor. I mean, you could here from a mile away but it, it's cool nonetheless i really like it and this was a japan only special edition it ran for a few years so this is super cool makes it extra special because i am a huge jdm lover have been for many years especially with my cars i was a big honda crx guy and i wanted my car to look like the japanese um, car so i sourced a lot of uh, jdm parts cost a lot of money uh and and it was it was it was the original uh hobby for me and then I kind of turned into this so when I saw this watch and realized what it was and it was Japan only it, it just I was like I have to have it you know what I mean so mm. bought it from a Japanese uh, store came in the original box warranty card everything original well it was polished but done nicely it didn't it didn't mess with the look the, the looks are still strong and everything but uh for the price that I picked it up and where I got it from it's even extra special for me. So this is not leaving my collection. But yeah, Omega is one of those brands that are near and dear to my heart. And we're going to talk about the Omega Speedmaster, Caliber 321. How do you guys feel about that? I hate it. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, I'm playing. I'm bullshitting. I'm bullshitting. When I, have, when I first got the... Uh, I think you sent me the video, Miguel, and I looked at it and I said, oh, holy shit. Yep. Like, this watch looks freaking great. Um, You know, it's like the Ed White edition, first uh, man in America to do the uh, the spacewalk. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it, it's just so much history behind it. The only reserve that I really have about it is that... The price. Like... That's one, but the, the the one other one is uh, unlike the Speedmaster Professional, it doesn't have like the crown guard on it. What? That's actually my favorite part about this watch. But we'll, you know we'll talk saying? about it. it. Okay. The, that's like my only reserve about it, and the price at fourteen one. I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. thirteen something Swiss francs, so almost fifteen, yeah, almost fifteen. You know, and I'm just kind of like. Omega, they are they trying to position themselves as like for real hands down. I think this is gonna be watch of the year, no doubt. That's just to me, you know. What well, I'm saying? that early, twelve you, days. Yeah, that, that's gonna be watch of the year. Tw- 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 twelve. Yes, yes, yes. I like it that much, but I, I'm not buying it. 
You know what I'm saying? But we'll see how the year progresses. It's, it's definitely going to be a runner-up. You know, but 14 one that's a lot of money. And are they trying to position themselves as like maybe like Rolex? Like, I know it's not a limited edition watch, but but it's a li- I think it's go it's gonna sell out pretty it's, quick. It's definitely a limited production run. They're only doing yeah, about a thousand yeah. a year because they're right. all hand assembled. And if if, right. if I read this correctly, the movement is being assembled and regulated by one person, one artisan. So right. that's super cool, right? And but, like uh, with, with like that being said, it's kind of like you know, once the thousand is gone, you know what I'm saying? Can you imagine the price hype this thing is gonna get? Oh, yeah, yeah, the waiting you know list on this stuff. I mean, yeah, this and, is a direct competitor of the Daytona, in my, in right. my humble opinion. So, yeah, and then what was the one they made before with uh, that was platinum or, or gold or something like that? That one, yeah, six, the, six, sixty thousand dollars at the three to one, yeah, yeah, that was six grand, yeah, you know what I mean. And I think for that price, people who bought that watch will buy this watch, and it's definitely going to sell out. You know what I mean? I'm I'm just waiting to see like what the price hike is gonna be. But I think as far as aesthetics, I think it looks awesome. awesome. I think it looks cool. I just don't get why I don't really get the point in doing the Ed White part because it's not like it's a specific amount of years, like you know, like fifty, fifty five, sixty, like a nice round number, like to commemorate when Ed White did his spacewalk. And also it's like they just came off of you know, the anniversary for the fifty years moonwatch. Yeah. Right. Three special edition Speedmasters last year, including that platinum one, which I think is great. It's like Omega learned to pump the brakes. I feel like they put out so many special editions, especially of sure. Seamaster. Mm-hmm. Like, how special yeah. is it if they're all special editions, you know? They're not. I feel yeah. like they should have waited a little bit. When they released the platinum one, everyone's saying, when's there going to be a steel one? When's there going to be a steel one? And I feel if this is a move to, like, try and make a waitlist watch, make something, you know, hyped like Daytona, they should have waited for that hype to build up a little bit more, in my opinion. Right. I feel like just the timing doesn't make sense. It looks fucking cool. No doubt about it. And, you know, like, in my last few videos, I've said that. I love the fact that, like, with a Speedmaster, for example, you can get something that looks as good as a vintage watch and is true to it, but it's still, like, you know, five-year warranty, still buy a brand new, you know, ceramic bezel on this one. It's still got a lot of the modern refinements and build quality, but a lot of the vintage charm. But with this... I don't know. I, I, I think the timing is a bit off. And also, I think, like, honestly, at fourteen one, I would rather just buy an original, like, mint condition 60s one. Like, I'm looking at right. a phone right now. You can get one <coughs> from the time period that this is paying homage to for six grand, seven, eight grand thereabouts with the three, two, one movement right. in it. But the original. That was a right. seat. But even them prices went up, though, didn't they? they yeah, they did. They yeah. did, but they're still below where it's at now right now, if this one ends up becoming a hype piece maybe that'll change a little bit what the uh vintage ones are like but yeah i don't know right. like it looks great i love the concept of it i just question the timing and maybe the motivation behind it right and well, then I mean, it's you... like it's three times more than a speedmaster professional three yeah. times more you know what i mean it's like, i mean that it's, it's all the movement the movement they're just they're yeah. just hyping that up and whatever but to me i mean the in my opinion, I think the release date they wanted to do something epic, which was this first Speedy Tuesday of the year. So that's why they timed it correctly, and they said, you know what, we're gonna come correct and we're gonna shut it down. Speedy Tuesday, we're putting this thing out, you know. So that's kind of what they did. Now, as far as why they did the Ed White, I think it was more the aesthetic because as a as an Omega collector, Omega Speedmaster collector out there, right? The the, the the Holy Grail is a three to one. That CK, right? I think that's the reference for, for those specific specific watches. So they had to kind of piggyback off an astronaut. Of course, they have to, you know. Um, and that straight lug, uh, no crown guards. That's kind of that vintage aesthetic. That's 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 why they kind of, I guess, you know, call it an Ed White or whatever, right? Uh, but to me, like, yes, it is expensive. I don't have the money to buy this or a vintage one. But if I did. I definitely would go with this and the reason why this versus the other one, number one, Sapphire. I love the Sapphire because I'm not scared of scratching it, right? And not only that, it has a display case back. You can see that beautiful three to one movement. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then, so movement, okay. then the original movement was was copper finish, as this one has Sedna Gold, which is more chemically mm-hmm. stable. So, yeah. I mean, you're getting a brand new movement. You're getting a brand new everything. And not only that, you're getting a coveted watch that this is going to be, I, in my opinion, this is going to be the next Batman, you know, like what it was for Rolex. The next, yes, I think mm. so. I think with a thousand only, they're coming out with a thousand a year. This is going to be coveted. This is going to be the watch to get for collectors uh and what omega wants to do and has been wanting to do for for a long 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 time and i don't i think it's going to take a lot longer than this they want to be on top of rolex or to the rolex level because for many years as you guys know they're older than rolex and they were the watch of watches and then rolex kind of slowly crept up and then passed them surpassed them so i think omega is doing the right thing and they're they're coming in strong and saying you know what screw you guys we're we're gonna borrow a little bit from our heritage and we're gonna make it even better right so that's that's kind of what it is and then for vintage collectors i mean little subtleties on the actual watch like the dot over the 90 on the tachometer as opposed to the side it's little things that i didn't even know but i was reading about i'm like are you serious people look at those things they do there's a little dot you know the tachometer has like the numbers well there's a little dot that is like literally on top of the 90 well a lot of the speedmasters apparently have it on the side and because if it has it on the top it's more coveted i didn't know that but Omega does, and, and they, they read things, you know. Also, another big thing, this is the case on this is 39 millimeters, 39.7 and uh, 19 millimeter lugs, as opposed to, what, 40, 42 for the professional 20 millimeter lugs. So it's a little bit smaller, a little bit more original. Um, I, I, I think I think this thing is nice. <laughs> it definitely it's nice. Is. It's beautiful, no doubt about it. I just I just disagree. I don't think it's going to have that rolex effect. Like, as much I love Omega. You know, my, what got me into this hobby was my speed, my Seamaster. And I love the Speedmaster as well. But I just think, for one thing, we got to remember the Daytona, that is a regular production model. You know, it's not a limited edition. It's not a special edition. It's just the Daytona. And it just commands what it does. I think going down the special edition route, if that's why they're doing it, I'm not sure that's going to work out. Because let's face it again, like I said, Omega releases a special edition or a limited edition Speedmaster every five minutes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, what's going to make this more special than the next one that comes out and the next one after? You know, they didn't even let the sheets go down on the Platinum one before releasing this one. But right. it was, wasn't the Platinum one a limited edition, though? It wasn't just a regular no. production run. No, it was the same. It had the same limitation due to how many movements they make, but it's not a numbered mm. edition. But the, but the price definitely makes a difference because we're talking 60000 so versus... Right. Yeah, this is 14. But then one, a lot of people like seeing it for like a steel watch, a steel Omega. One that yeah, like one of the big they things. Were, they were, but the thing is, you look at Rolex, how long has Rolex been holding down, holding down the supply and not fucking with their production numbers? Right. It's because they know they need to keep that demand there. Whereas I feel like Omega got all excited, like, oh shit, there's some hype, there's some hype, let's just go sell something quick, go. You know, like they couldn't like... They couldn't metaphorically keep it in their pants. So they couldn't hold out a little bit. <laughs> there you go with the sexual reference again. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so do you think, uh, on honesty, do you think that if Omega this year kind of pumps the brakes a little bit on the limited editions, uh, that would help this watch? If they're like, you know what, Let, for a few months, let's not do any limited editions and let's just push this three to one and let's let's pretend like we're Rolex and just not do any new stuff. And if we, if we do come up with something new, let's do little subtle differences. Do you think, Fred, do you think, P, that's going to put him to the to the level where Rolex is at? Do you think that's the no. downfall? The if downfall they did that is for this year? No. They no. need to do that for a while. Like, Rolex has been practicing, like, just now in the last, like, few weeks when they had this price hike at Rolex, are people are saying, oh, you know, maybe they're going to open up the production a little bit because they raised the prices. But how long is has you know this whole like craze for um steel rolexes and specifically the daytona the daytona has been a weightless model since the 1988 one you know which was a complete about turn for the the daytona but like they've been practicing this for a long time they've been holding themselves back for a long time to make sure they keep that demand there i don't think omega doing that for one year would even make the difference like that's a long-term commitment and a long-term strategy 
that I don't think Omega's business model would be able to withstand. Well, that's it. That's you know. It's their fault, though, because, look, think about it. They, they pump out so many watches and so many limited editions <laughs> that they kind of bleed into the gray market. Now you have all these gray market dealers selling them. So Rolex doesn't have that issue because they, they, they know their watches are coveted. So now we're talking about supply and demand, right? So, <laughs> I mean, the supply is just overflowing with Omega and the supply with Rolex is not. So... Yes, I agree with you guys. I don't think this year is going to make a difference, but it will be a step in the right direction because a lot of us Omega owners, all three of us, would love to see that. Wouldn't you guys love to see Omega just kind of pump the brakes and then these watches kind of become, you know, or, or, or increase in value and then not be so much in the market and then people clowning on them because they have limited releases every five minutes? Like, I hate oh that. yeah, you I know would. It. I, I would love to see that because I, I personally think, like, as far as heritage go, like, there more than any company, Omega, you know what I'm saying, yes. like, has yes. more heritage than like Rolex, you know what I mean? And hell, it was the first watch on the moon, you know what I mean? So, you know, I mean, I think they deserve it, but you know, they need to, like Freya said, pump the brakes, think about it. You know, yeah, but I like, think this particular watch is a step in the right direction if they do it right. Yeah, like I, I still think, like I said, I think it's an amazing looking watch. I love the concept of it. I like the idea of having something that looks like a vintage watch, but has all like the modern, you know, security of it's not been used. That hasn't had, you know, 50 years of right. testing its tiny water resistance, all that. Yeah. But I personally like. I don't really care about seeing Omega get to that point where it's been resold for more than retail because like. A, I don't plan on selling that watch. And B, if you look at how many people buy Rolexes for hype versus when you see someone with an Omega, it's almost like a sign right away. Like, oh, you know, there's a bigger chance that they're, you know, into watches. Watch collector, right. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't want Omega to become that. Like, it doesn't make sense. And also, I think this whole thing of, like, you know, premiums for watches that, let's face it, they're just, like, steel watches. You know, I think that the whole thing is a bit crazy. I mean, it's the market we're in, but, like, I think it's a bit, it's something where I just wish it would tone down. Because you think how many people get priced out of Rolex just because of hype? You know, even if they're full-on watch people who want a Submariner for its history, they can't get it. The only upside of that, of course, is that it then pushes them into a lot of these other different brands, which I think is cool. You know, it does sort of keep the rest of the market afloat because that's sort of kind of how the ecosystem is. But yeah, like I think, I think at the end of the day, like they shouldn't, Omega shouldn't try and be Rolex either. You know, they've done a lot of cool stuff on a technical level. I think Omega's um, by like pretty much across most of their range are more technically advanced than Rolex. I like what they're doing with the Metas uh, certifications to sort of one up the superlative chronometers, stuff with silicon, stuff with titanium. I like when they do stuff that isn't what Rolex is doing. Right. Because it helps differentiate them. And Omega has its own history to be proud of. I don't think they need to try and imitate Rolex to sort of make a few more sales. I agree, a hundred percent. But absolutely, I, I gotta, I gotta disagree with you on one thing. So, yes, a lot of people that are not even watch people buy Rolex because of the name. They don't know anything about watches. They could care less about watches, but they say, "I bought a Rolex. I made it." Right? That's not going to change. I don't think any company is going to come even close to that. Maybe Patek Philippe, Audemars Piguet, because all the all the celebrities, rappers talking about it. But price point, it's a completely different price point there. But this is what pisses me off about Omega from personal experience. Every time that I wear my Omega and I go to like family functions or with friends, they don't even know what the hell I have on my wrist. And it's kind of disappointing because it's like, man, you don't know Omega? No, I kind of, what is, what is it? I kind of heard about, oh, you heard of Rolex? Oh yeah, Rolex is expensive. Yeah. Well, why is it expensive? I don't know. It's just expensive. So I want to get to the point where maybe mass market doesn't necessarily buy the Omegas, but they recognize what Omega is like Omega's on it's not a cheap watch, you know. And if you look at a lot of these charts from different people, their pyramids and whatever that they put, they never put Rolex and Omega in the same category. Rolex is always on top, and to me, it's not. It's like, what the hell? Why is it on top? Omega has such rich history, and, and mm-hmm. it's just to me, it's just crazy. Like, I just want them to be on the same level. I agree with you, Fred. I don't want everybody rocking in Omega, and I agree with you that when you see somebody rocking in Omega, they're most likely a watch person. Like, you know that. But I hardly see Omegas in the wild. I've seen a lot of Rolexes, but I hardly I love see... that. You love <laughs> that? Okay. okay. For the same reason that, like, 
half the reason why I wouldn't want a Rolex is because I, I've seen so many of them. Like, despite all the respect I have for the brand, for the, for the history, for their technical aspects, for me, if I had, like, it would just irk me if I had, you know, put in the money to get a Rolex, be it at retail or pre-owned with a premium, and then seeing someone else with it. And then on the same token with, the, with those Omegas, one thing that irritates me about so many limited editions is imagine the person who, like, said, you know what, I'm going to pay that extra to get the limited edition Speedmaster, and then there's another limited one next to it. It's like, oh, that's not even the hotness anymore. You yeah. know? Right. Yeah. But well, then I think it breaks up the monotony of, like, I think that if if I had a choice and there was a Rolex and an Omega, I would probably get the Omega just, like, for the same reasons y'all was talking about. Everybody got a Rolex. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, it just breaks up the monotony of just bullshit and you know, and if somebody don't know what you got on, hey, you know, that's their issue. You know what I'm saying? It ain't mine. Yeah. So, you know. Interesting, interesting. Well, let's, let's, um, so I'm looking at the dial here. Two things I want to talk about this Omega. So, number one, it has a step dial, and number two, it has a Fotina. How do you guys feel about, not the step dial, that's super cool, but Fotina. Is it, is it, has it gone too far? Or do, do we need to stop in uh, 2020? I think I think it looks cool. I do think that a lot of companies are really riding that wave. Mm-hmm. But aesthetically, it looks really cool. I can't blame them for making it a good-looking watch. And it makes sense because they didn't just do Fotina. They did the old Omega logo. They did that dot over 90, like you mentioned. There's a lot of, like, and it doesn't have the the uh, crown guard either. Right. Like, they've, they've done it right. They've done a lot of vintage cues. Yes. I think it's different yes. if they just released a standard Speedmaster Professional and just threw some Fotina on it. That then right. like it's a bit lazy. But this, you know, they did the whole nine yards to make it look period correct. The bracelet as well. I think yes. the Fotina is nice, though. I don't mind it. Aesthetically, yes. It, it definitely looks nice. And that bracelet, oh, boy. Tell you the truth. I just, again, it's price. Price, 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 price. I want one. I want one. And then I'm looking at it on a on a, a red and white NATO strap. Like it looks bomb as hell. Yeah, this thing. Oh my god. Mm. Yeah, I gotta be honest with you guys. This thing, the minute that I saw it and 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 it just I was like, this is my grail. <laughs> this I Omega Speedmaster's always been my grail, and I don't care which one. I just wanted an Omega Speedmaster. But after I saw this one, I was like, this will be the one to get. If I had it, I would just be, feel so proud. And if I walked into any watch room with a bunch of watch geeks or whatever and they saw this, I think this would get more respect than a Daytona. Daytona is cool and everything, but when people see this as a watch collector, I think they'll go nuts. They'll be like, you know what? Kudos to you. You did the right thing. Just staring at that movement. I mean, it all started out with Lamania, right? And now, um, I don't know. Do you know, Fred, if this is like an in-house 100%? For them, it is, right? I mean, obviously, that's why yeah. having the guy. So, yeah, to, to go from, like, a Lamania back in the days to now in-house caliber 321, and like I said, they, they upped their game with the uh, Setna Gold. I think it's awesome. And just like you guys, uh, speaking about the Fotina, I'm a fan of it. I, I've always loved Fotina. Now, would have been cool. It wouldn't make sense, but it would have been cool if they used uh, Tritium for the loom but the problem with tritium is that throughout the years just like my watch it just completely fades away and that's something that they don't want they want this thing to look the same for 50 60 70 plus years so whatever loom they use on that they make it look like fotina uh forced fotina but it's gonna you know it's gonna have the luminescence for many 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 yeah, years it's still gonna work right like, i think that's why they do the fotina is because like you said if you do it the real way it's tritium that you have to wait it goes away it does that right but also you lose the luminescence that is true that is true it has all the good looks of some faded tritium but it'll still shine bright at night yeah now how do you guys feel about the size though because a lot of people obviously this is 39 so it's a little smaller versus a professional which is uh what is it 40 42 42 okay so i i prefer the i prefer this one I don't have a problem with the size. You know, I've been downsizing anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. But is it me or I can stare at – I actually made this 
the the picture of the movement, my home screen on my cell phone. I could stare at this movement all day. It's beautiful. It you is. Know what nice. I mean, just. I mean, there's no. You know. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. Just aesthetically looking at it, it's no longer like a longer, longer in zone. I mean, those movements are just mesmerizing. This thing is awesome, but in in its own different kind of way. You know what I mean? So right. Well, and especially if you bear in mind the price point. The price I mean, point, about, right? We're right. talking about this being you know expensive, but you talk about a longer. That's something that's it's it's different. Well it's a different level. Figures, you yeah. know, so like. It, it's it's a lot harder to, in my opinion, to get a movement this good looking in this sort of for the price point range. Not impossible. Like there are other models that will have a nice looking movement like this, but this is very nice. Well, and, I would like, I, finishing and history. I would like, argue that's... with you, uh, Fred. I will say that the uh, the seagull movement, the Chinese movement, is uh, just <laughs> just as well. <laughs> <laughs> but is that in this price point? I feel like that's dominating the sub thousand dollar mark. I don't know how much the single one is, but yeah, it's uh, it's like five hundred bucks or something like that. There we so... go. I mean, they are the kings of five hundred dollars. Yeah, cannot... yeah, yeah. No, for sure. No, this is this is like, beautiful. They're really I mean, in a different league. No, this is a beautiful movement. Now, by the way, don't don't take anybody listening. Don't take any offense. I wasn't trying to diminish or or, or belittle uh, the three to one movement too long. I'm just I'm just saying aesthetically, it's a completely different monster. But uh, aesthetically, for the price, this is a gorgeous, gorgeous movement, and this is a grail of mine. So don't 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 get it twisted, because this this definitely is super awesome. One thing I would like to see though, and I don't know know why Omega doesn't do this, is increase the water resistance. 50 meters, I mean, it's, yeah, 50 it's, meters. it's kind yeah. of scary for an everyday watch to wear 50 meters, at least 100. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? I it's kind of disappointing. Why they don't do it. It's like, disappointing, but... <laughs> and I, I said this when I talked about the professional. It's like they have other Speedmasters with give or take the same case, in some cases even thicker. Sorry, in some cases like the same thickness that still have, you know, 100 meter water resistance. And I feel like if you're going to do a modern vintage watch, it should at least still have the water resistance of current standards. Yeah. yeah. Which I think mm-hmm. for a sports watch is usually accepted as 100 meters. You know, less than, less than 100 meters, you're talking more dress watch category. Yeah. So that's definitely a downfall of this watch. So number one, the price. Number two, the water resistance. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder, now I'm curious, I wonder... These guys are notorious for their boxes. I wonder what box and what comes in the box for this watch. <laughs> that would be interesting. Oh, it, it'll probably be like giant box, you know, with yeah. a commemorative coin and a book you guys on the, the history. Did you guys see the box for um for last year's steel one with the three eight six one movement? The one um they had like a little lunar uh, lunar module thing. Yes, that, that was super gave. cool. Mm. That was so cool. Well, That's what something I, I feel like Omega does really well is their boxes. Even on their standard models, like on my Seamaster, I remember I I, um, I got it and I showed it to my brother, and my brother has a Hulk. And like for the first time, you see him like feeling a bit inadequate about the size of his box. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you know, you have this markup and all that, and they give you this tiny, dinky little box. <laughs> right, like, right. Yeah. Damn. Well, doesn't doesn't Omega and a lot of the watches include like a loop, right, or something? So you could look at the within is branded and. On the professional, yeah, they have um, in the lug on the, the Speedmaster professional. Yeah, they've got the strap tool. They've got two straps. That's cool. They've got the loop, the little paperweight, the paperweight. Right, right. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, Fred. When you open it, confetti comes out of the box when you first open it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, no, no, sorry, that's a misconception. It's actually fireworks. Oh, fireworks. oh, that's right, that's right. Confetti fireworks. is only on the Hesselite. Oh, that's South right. Sandwich that's right. You get fireworks. That's why you have to pay a bit more for it. That's so what it speaking is. Of, speaking of straps, what would y'all prefer this on? A steel, the leather strap, or a NATO? Steel for me all day. Oh, that's okay. a tough one because I do like the way that this steel bracelet looks. Yeah. But I feel like with its vintageiness, it would look nice on a leather strap. Oh, yeah. Like, or it would look more period correct, I think. Right, right. What about you, Pete? Like nice... I don't know. I don't know. I think. I think I stick with the steel, but I think it'll look great on either one. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I think like, this watch is so versatile that you can dress it up, dress it down, and you know. And I'm, I'm a guy like this. Like 
you know, as long as I my shoes is cool, you know what I'm saying, my hair straight, you know what I'm saying, I put on this watch, I don't care what I got on in between, you know what I mean, like this thing just, it's a looker, man, it's a looker. Yeah. And well, like, you would definitely get noticed. Well, how do you guys feel about this? Because I'm a, I'm a big, uh, Lugwit's a big thing for me. So nineteen nineteen what's that? What'd you say? Oh, the lug width is a okay, big thing for okay. me because yeah. 19 millimeters. I mean, why didn't they do 20? I think 19 is a little weird uh, since you find aftermarket straps. They sell them, and you could probably fit like a, a, a 20 in there. You could kind of cram it in there, but am I the only one that, that has a problem with the lug width? Mm-mm, I ain't got a problem with it. I imagine if you have 14 grand to spend on the watch, You'll be okay with finding. Well, sense. okay, well, yeah, you, you got me there. <laughs> if, if, I me there. Had, if I had fourteen one, like right now, I would buy this watch, no doubt. Wow! Yeah. If, if I had it, if I had it like that, and I'm getting it. Well, I can't sure. wait for I can't wait for uh, YouTubers to get their hands on it, like Chris Rology House. I can't wait for him to get this and do some macros on it and talk about it. I want to see the loom on it. It's just incredible. And if I ever have the opportunity to step into an Omega store and they have this, I would love to see it, take a bunch of pictures and and just hold it, you know, because uh, I don't know something about this watch. And I think it's so funny. We all agree. This is a looker. This is a, a watch. Would you say, Fred, this is obviously P said that he would buy it in a heartbeat. Would you? I mean, is this a watch that you would want to buy? Or? If I'm honest, if I was getting a special Speedmaster, like non-limited edition, non-limited uh, sorry, limited edition and or limited production. At fourteen one, I would try and hold out and get myself another fourteen one, and hope that the depreciation on the platinum one had hit that limit. Like mm. I love the platinum one with the meteorite dials. And I think if I really? was going to get some yeah, okay. three two one movement, the platinum one looks beautiful. I mean, it's a stupid price, fucking sixty thousand bucks. Even if that depreciates down to forty, that's still a fair bit of money. But meteorite dials, I mean. Sub dials, like, come on, and three two one. I think that's a. I prefer that out of the two three two one movement watches that they're selling right now. I prefer the platinum. Like at hmm. fourteen one, I would just struggle to pay that for a Speedmaster, like in steel. Yeah, mm. that's my holdout too. I mean, even if I had the fifteen grand right to spend, I was like, all right, uh, let's have fifteen thousand dollars to spend before. I'm gonna be honest with you. Before I spend money on a Speedmaster. I would probably look at pre-owned like APs or, or or something else in that category. Would say or even, even like other Speedmasters. Like I just asked myself, would I be that's true ten that's grand true. happier than a standard Speedy Professional? Yeah, just for the movement. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, you gotta really, really love Speedmasters for you, and to, you really be like, have to be into like that particular movement. Yes, to serve that movement. Yes. I feel this will definitely yes. be a collector's piece for sure, hundred percent. I mean, I like yeah, even. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I just don't think that, like, your average collector, someone who's not specifically into speedies, I don't think they will go crazy over this. And that's another reason why I think maybe it won't become the hype beast that everyone thinks, purely because I don't think, like, the Daytona still has that mass market appeal. And that's what sort of fuels that extra demand. It's not a niche. Okay, right. well, I mean, then even at, like, fourteen one, you could get, like, a, a used protect for that much, can't you? Or call even a, a new one. Call it Charles. Uh, call it Charles, yeah. definitely, for, for sure, for that yeah. price. Yeah, it'll probably have to be a three-hander, something like Call it Charles. Probably right. vintage. But, but nonetheless, you I mean, you're getting a potential. There's a lot you can do with, yeah. with 14, 15 grand. Like, yeah, for sure. Grand, I mean, for, for, within for, Omega, outside of Omega, you know, going vintage, going new, there's so many options that, at, you know, 14 grand, it's just, I just ask myself, like, would I be... Like I said, would I be ten grand happier than having a standard Speedmaster Professional? And for me, the answer would probably be no. Yeah. Well, okay. So can we all Beautiful agree? Watch, can we all agree though that this is the step in the right direction for Omega? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think a yeah. nice watch with a good movement is never a wrong step. <laughs> you know, whether it gives them, <laughs> whether it's a, whether it's a step in the direction that Omega wants to take it, or a step in the direction that, you know, speculators want to take it, that's another story. But you can't go wrong with releasing a good-looking watch like this with a movement that has such history and that's so well-made. Yeah. No, sounds good. So there, there you have it. I think we pretty much covered 
every I'm sure there's other things we're forgetting, but for the most part, I mean that's that's kind of what our take on the Omega Speedmaster caliber three two one. So I, I'm sure we could all agree we all want to see it in the in the metal and check it out and kind of see what what it's all about. But uh, oh yeah, but yeah, no, sounds good. Now another thing I wanted to talk about, and I don't know if uh, our listeners or not got a chance to to look at it. I know Fred did. I don't think P has watched it, but. I want to talk about Houdinki a little bit. You know, I, I don't, I know a lot of people don't like talking about him, but let's be honest. I mean, as a watch collector, you go to Houdinki for watch stories, or at least you did back in the days. Now they, they've changed a little bit. And before I even talk about this, I want to, this being the urban channel, this being us being <laughs> diverse here. I want to start off with a Drake quote that I, that I sent to my boy P. Oh, yo, God. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Hey, 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 whatever, man. Just this, go it, ahead. Go it ahead. Has to, it, it has to go with this. All right. Basically, he says in, in one of his songs, this is an older song, he says, I like when money makes a difference, but it don't make you different. So. Hold on, wait. Say that again. Say that one more time. Well, you want me to say rap it? With, it? You yeah, want me to rap it? it? Flair. I like when yeah. money makes a difference, but it don't make you different. Uh. That's, as, that's as good as I can get. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want me to do it like in a mariachi version, you know. Like... <laughs> nah, we good. <laughs> but uh, no, so check it out. So that line, the reason I, I, I brought it up is because Houdinki, I mean, it all started with Ben Clymer, right? And uh, of course, the guy was wealthy enough as it was. I mean, he got a, a speedmaster from his uncle. He had money. He built this whole thing. And uh, it was all about watches and vintage watches and bringing that kind of light to to the space where we all live, you know, the cyberspace, the, the Internet, whatever. And now I feel like they just kind of deviated from watch collecting, the essence of watch collecting so much where they put out this new Talking Watches for 2020. Talking Watches is one of my favorite, you know, uh, video uh, kind of episodes or, or, or whatever series. series that they do. And this first one, they had Bethany Frankel. Nothing against the lady. I know she's wealthy, self-made or not self-made, whatever. And she's made some right business decisions in her life and she's filthy rich. But they had her on, right? And my take on it was that it was garbage. I'm, I'm sorry to say it, it was garbage. It's like, she's not a watch collector. She's just a rich person that could afford watches. And for the Is most part... Is she from England? She's American, man. She was from, she's a, American? from okay. a real housewives something, real housewives of New York. Well, I don't know what the hell. But oh, anyways... The whole, the point I'm trying to make is she had a lot of heavy hitting pieces on the table. AP, she had a bunch of Rolexes, uh, Cartier, she had different things. Um, everything on the table was, my ex-boyfriend gave me that. Oh, my boyfriend bought me that. Oh, that. Oh, yeah, that Daytona. This, that, and and I'm, I'm friends with F.P. Jordan, and, and he told me that this AP with these diamonds is, is really cool. Nothing was about the movement. Nothing. And furthermore, slap in the face to all collectors. I was like, what the hell? She's like, so what's uh, Kara or Kara or whatever? She asked her, she's like, well, what's your least favorite watch on this table? Or what, so can we talk about something? She picked up this beautiful Cartier. She's like, you know what? This is this thing right here. I didn't know this thing was manual wine. You have to wind it. Oh, oh God, I don't, I don't like it. I don't, I don't know how people, like she was just bashing that. And I'm like, so she what? just sound, she just sound dizzy. Exactly. Sound like- Sounds like she had too much of her skinny, skinny line alcohol or skinny girl alcohol, whatever. And I was just, it was a little irritating. I mean, yeah, it was refreshing to see a girl and that's what we like to see in this industry. And furthermore, you know, that's, that's, that we can't really bash that at all that's if anything that's that's a cool thing seeing girls in the space seeing seeing not just this is not a sausage fest you know we want different we don't diversity but come on like you have somebody talking watches just about price and and i I don't know fred i mean you saw the video what's your take on it i mean like i agree i think it's good that they showed a video with with a woman in it i mean i looked through the rest of the playlist to see if this was the first time it looked like it was the first time they, they did yeah. My only thing is, like, they put someone who, like, just fits so much of the stereotypes of what one thinks of with uh, with women buying watches, you know? Like yes. like you said, you know, she always talked about it was a guy buying it for her, um, you know, or, like, not sounding too, too, like, knowledgeable on the mechanical side. But there was still some substance. You know, one thing I liked is that she did say that she liked from some of the watches that weren't given to her. She liked a couple that she liked them because they were different. That's something I can definitely relate to. She did that AP was pretty fucking cool. It was, like, it was, no, sort of yeah. like, it was like diamonds were sort of fading onto it. 
but I just don't think it gave as a guy, I don't think it gave me very much insight into the the female perspective of buying watches when they're buying them for something other than just being jewelry. Like the stereotype is that women just buy them as jewelry. I would have liked to see more of an insight into what women look look into and value in watches beyond that when they're in when it's beyond just getting it as jewelry. And also I think for, you know, women being into collecting, I would imagine that they probably even looked at it as like oh, wow, this is how you represent us, you know? Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. I just don't think it was the best pick of um, who they could have featured or how they could have presented it. You know, at the end of the day, they do the editing. They pick what they show and what they don't. Right. And they showed, like, three or four watches that she said, like, oh, my boyfriend got me this. It's like, well, that doesn't show much of a story and the thought you put into getting it. So in that sense, I feel like they maybe were trying to be inclusive and diversify a bit, but they kind of missed the mark. You know, I think they could have, like, someone, a a female collector who comes to mind that would have been great, obviously, I imagine it's very difficult to book her, would be someone like Ellen DeGeneres. You know, she's got a really diverse collection, Mm -hmm. everything from vintage to modern, um, all sorts of really nice pieces. You know, we were talking about on the last episode, talking about that Patek that she was wearing. I feel like someone in that vein would have probably made for a more interesting interesting video from like a watcher's standpoint and understanding a collector's perspective right right and i think coming from a woman it would be a lot more deeper yeah you know what i mean like you know like they wouldn't just like hit the regular male points that we hit or see you know what i'm saying you probably get a different insight you know exactly exactly i just feel like they ended up taking either a person or just the way that they edited it it just ended up hitting, in my view, too many of the stereotypes that existed. Like, oh, women just the women who buy watches just buy them because they're shiny and covered in diamonds. Right. Like, as a guy, it would have been nice to see a bit more of that nuance, see what other stuff factors into it. Because I'm pretty sure there is more that factors into it than just putting diamonds on it. Right. No, I agree. Well, like I said, again, back to that quote, it's like... I like when money makes a difference, but it don't make you different. And unfortunately for Houdinki, I mean, they got a ton of money now. They're ADs for Omega and a bunch of other things. And it just it just completely changed. I mean, it's, it's only natural, the progression of that. I get it. But I don't know. I just, Houdinki was one of my favorite websites to go to. And now I feel a little different, you know. So hopefully they turn it back around and they make I it. I don't necessarily feel like, uh, like... You know, someone starting out, you know what I'm saying, maybe doing all the right things. But once you get to, like, a certain level, shit's going to change because, you know, your audience change. You know what I'm saying? You may have different people, you know what I'm saying, in on saying, like, what you should do, which may have been, like, the case. It may have been one of them things where someone said, oh, we're going to book her. No, don't book her. You know what I'm saying? But it would be good for views. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's a whole lot of shit that's uh involved in it and i don't even know how popular she was like on the housewife show she may have been like one of the popular people on there well you know she, even, I mean? she so, even made it on shark tank so she's definitely diversified her own right. persona and her own company and stuff like that but right. it's not just her though that i'm talking about who dinky it's also all those collaborations with iwc you go to their youtube channel and it's like okay great i'm watching a commercial for iwc like right all right great what the hell, you know, what's, what's going on, you know, I, right. it's just crazy. I still listen to their podcast and that is very kind of still watch uh, related, but I right. don't know. I just wanted to, so you that feel I, like they're getting, they're getting away from the principles of yeah, watch yeah. collecting. If they're selling out, this is this short and simple. They're selling out. So right. kind of sucks, kind of sucks. And and I, I hate to see that. Hopefully they turn it back around. That's why I go to a blog, a blog to watch. I mean, that's very, very much from watching Lucia's uh, standpoint, you know what I mean? And, and hopefully they keep it that way. But uh, that's kind of my take on that, you know. So we're approaching the, the one-hour mark, guys. Do you guys want to talk about other things, anything you recommend, anything that's happened? Uh, uh, well, I, I do want to talk about something, and I think Pete might have something to add to it. But I just don't want to get too far into this. I, I want to talk about Star Wars. Uh, okay. This rise, of, this rise of Skywalker. Uh, oh shit! Uh, uh, like I, I don't want to make it spoilery in case anyone hasn't seen it yet, but uh, I, I was a bit disappointed. Really? 
Yeah. What 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 do you think? Did you like it? Yeah, I think okay, okay, from the last Jedi, right? I know everybody saw that and it's totally a disappointing movie. I think what happened with the rise of Skywalker, JJ Abrams was trying to fix Ryan Johnson's fuck ups in the last Jedi. You know what I mean? So with what he had to work with, I thought the movie was great, but would have been better if The Last Jedi wasn't as screwed up as it was. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, I don't know who didn't see that Ray was palpitating. Well, spoiler alert. Oh, God. There's so much from you saying, you know, I don't want to spoil it. Right now. Nah, nah. You know what? It's been out for a month. If you ain't seen it yet, you know what I'm saying? You probably ain't going to go see it. I haven't seen it. Should I cover my ears and not listen to this podcast? <laughs> well, you know what? You know what? A lot of shit you saw coming, like if you watch like from The Force Awakens on, but I thought for what J.J. Abrams had to work with, it was great. But then I hear what they're doing now is, you know how uh, Disney did Avengers Endgame? Like a yeah. month later, they released it again and kind of oh, quadrupled yeah. the money with yes. extra scenes and all that. Now, yes. supposedly, Disney is doing Rise of Skywalker like that and going to put it back in theaters with extra footage. Uh, of course. You know what I'm saying? That, that, that kind of explains more of the story. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I thought it was good. Um, it's not like my favorite Skywalker trilogy. Of course, yeah. the first three movies were probably the best. You know what I'm saying? But for what it was worth, I thought J.J. Abrams, he gave a valiant effort and it was okay. It was okay. I get what you're saying with, uh, with you know, yeah, he had like, he had a lot that he had to sort of unfuck up or like he wasn't in the best, he didn't have a lot of creative freedom because certain things had been taken away from him. Right. Um, but in the same sense, to a degree, I almost wish they had waited, released it maybe a year later or something to take the time to really flesh out a lot of those fuck ups and how they were going to fix them. I feel like right. this was just like, you know, I feel like especially looking at um what's it called force awakens which was already a bit of a nostalgia trip this was it felt like you know break the glass on the original trilogies if in doubt you know I right felt like, right oh shit bring out palpatine quick 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 you know yeah. bring someone from the original trilogy this is how we're gonna fix it even though uh-huh. i didn't agree with a lot of the choices that like ryan johnson did i wish jj abrams had kept making new shit one thing you can't knock for ryan johnson is like he didn't just delve into the past with it his the entire theme of that movie was kill the past, you know, right, right, new. yeah. In that sense, right. at least it was cohesive. He stayed true to that theme. He really fucked up the past, right? But <laughs> yeah, for sure. I wish J.J. Abrams had taken that opportunity to make new stuff. You know, make like this was so predictable. Oh, yeah, what a for surprise! Sure. Just like you know, in Return of the Jedi, the Darth Vaderish character with the mask turns to the light side, and he's all good. Right, right. Uh-huh. You know. Like I just in watching that movie, I just didn't see a single surprise. Nah, there ain't, ain't really been nothing in the, the the Star Wars movies that's been a real surprise. Besides the fact of uh, the the most becoming thing to me and surprising thing to me in the Star Wars film was Empire Strikes Back when Darth Vader revealed that he was Luke's father. Like it ain't nothing that can fuck with that. Of course, of course, it ain't but nothing like, that can fuck with that. I think but, one big difference uh-huh. between like you know this sequel trilogy versus like the prequels it's like the prequels yeah it's hard to make a surprise when everyone knows he's gonna turn into darth vader right but right. with the sequels you don't have that limitation you know it's open right they could come up with anything new and right. i just feel they didn't put a lot of effort into right. doing something new they just right. decide to mirror the original trilogy and call it a day and you know what the, the rise of skywalker actually had a lot of tear-jerking moments i think i almost cried in one like when uh I'm going to go ahead and spoil this one because... Like, I think when, we already put the biggest one out there. <laughs> when Han Solo came back and was talking to Ben Solo, like, that was like a yeah. real-life tearjerker. And that then, was. You, know, you know, and I'm just kind of like, wow, like, that was, like, great. Like, I thought that, like, in The Force Awakens, it kind of mirrored what Luke saw happen to uh, Ben Kenobi. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? When... uh uh, when he came uh, to Dagobah, right? You know what I'm saying, like, and you know, the, the I'm 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 getting heavy hearted now with the shit in Rise of Skywalker. Like, 
there were some great moments. They could have told the story better. But what's messed up now is there's a lot of stuff that was canon in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Like the Rise of Skywalker has totally changed it and it's not canon no more. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's the only thing that's that's messed up now. Yeah, and also I feel it really kind of devalues, you know, like the end of Return of the Jedi. It's like, fuck, you know, Vader died redeeming himself to kill the Emperor. And it's like, oh, he didn't quite finish the job. Did it really, though? See, that that's a discussion I was having with somebody at work. Like, did it diminish Anakin's purpose and what he was meant to do? You know what I'm saying? Was Anakin bringing balance I, to the Force supposed to be like a lifelong thing? The fun thing, the funny thing is, though, I don't think Anakin brought balance to the Force at the end of Return of the Jedi. In my view, right, he brought balance right. to the Force at Revenge of the Sith. Right. Right. Because they're literally, Cause... he brought it down from being an army of Jedi and two Sith to just right. two Jedi and two Sith. And that's why the, the, the Sith was so powerful because it was so many Jedi. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they had to be, the Jedi Order had to be purged. You know what yeah, I mean? In order exactly. to bring balance. But I feel like that's where he actually brought balance. Right, right. You know, yeah, for sure. I can equal on both sides. Right. Yeah, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. Wow. Yeah. This into... the Jedi being too optimistic. <laughs> right. I was gonna say this or too egotistical was... thinking that like the prophecy was all about them. Right. And it yeah, they arrogant as fuck. Yeah. Like I was watching the Clone Wars the other day, the first episode where Yoda had finally made it to where he had to go and he saw uh Ventress, right? Yeah. So he looked at her and said powerful you are with the dark side but not that powerful and then he like took her lightsabers from her hand and threw them back yeah. at her I'm like you arrogant little fuck now but Yoda I does see... have some fun badass moments <laughs> oh yeah yeah for sure for sure and with all you the know. flipping around that he does like I right. love that oh, yeah. of episode 2 that yeah, fight yeah. between him with and Count Dooku. Dooku yeah that was hot that was badass that was hot that was hot so we officially have turned into the Star Wars podcast Thank you, everybody. For, <laughs> this is episode one of the Star Wars saga. What the well, heck? I, I, I was resistant to say it, but now I was like, oh, well, that's, that's the other stuff I have. I had to get it off my chest. I know Pete could contribute. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just I just woke up from my nap because Star Wars to <laughs> me is so boring. Like every hearing you it guys is talk. Not, it, it is not. It is, is the story of downfall and redemption. God, would you, you know what at, I mean? Just look at the just look at our country. <laughs> well, okay. There's no redemption coming for this shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so is there anything you want to talk about, P or no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I don't know oh, what I was about. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I've started back gaming, man. Last year. Oh, cool. The, the, the past couple of years have been so rough for me. Like, when my brother died. And, yeah. like, I've been having all kind of... Then my uncle died. Then I had an aunt that died this year. Like, it's been, like, real... Well, not this year. Last year. I'm sorry. And, you know, I, I finally got back in the game. And I had a stack of games that I had been buying over the years and shit. So, I started... uh. Spider-Man PS4. Okay. And it's awesome. Awesome. Awesome game. Well, I'm not a gamer, so I don't know anything about gaming either. You, Fred, <laughs> you're not a gamer, uh, so? No, but I used to be. And I remember those Spider-Man games are so much fun, especially like the open world ones. Like, yeah. I remember mm-hmm. last Spider-Man game I played was, I think, was the Spider-Man 2 one, which was one of the first ones to be proper open world. And right. Fuck, it's so cool like when you can just like swing around the whole city you have that full freedom and all, right. it's, like, it's like GTA with Spider-Man right you know, that's how this one is wrong. now this latest one that's how it is now open world you can go where you want to go that's cool mm-hmm. nice that's well cool. I'm not I'm not a gamer never been a gamer um, which is so weird I'm in so, uh, so into watching you think I'll be into other nerdy stuff and I just I'm really not <laughs> But uh, one thing I, I, I want to talk about is the, the there was a Netflix special or kind of documentary, docu-series. I know there's more coming. And it was like, Kevin Hart, don't F this up. Um, yeah. It was really good. I watched good. the first episode. I watched the first episode. Man. I watched the whole thing. So I watched yeah. the first series. And it was pretty cool because, I mean, you you the, the funny thing about all these artists or famous people, you just see them in the limelight and you're like, oh, cool. Well, they got lucky. But you see the grind behind everything they do and the team they have behind it and all the controversies he had to go through with cheating on his wife and the whole thing with the Oscars. Like he talks about that in that episode and 
he has my respect. So I'm like, dang, that guy's a hustler. Like, how the hell does he balance life between family and work and traveling and Jumanji, right? He has to go around right. the world. And it, it was pretty crazy. And he's a funny guy when he does things. But on this one, he, you could just see the real him. Like, he's a little funny, but for the most part, he's just really talking, you know, like, right. hey, this is, this is my struggles. This is what I'm going through. They show his wife, his kids, his dad. So it's pretty cool. And I then, think that's what he needed, though. You know what yeah. I'm saying? He needed to show a different side of himself. Of course. Of you course. Know? And I, th- I think he did, whether it's real or not. Obviously, we, we don't know. But it was cool to see that that kind of light and, and see where he's going and him bringing up other comedians with him and how much success he's had. So that was pretty cool. I, I thought that was pretty cool. And then one song that uh, I've been hearing a lot, and I don't know how you feel about it, P or Fred, featuring Drake, Life is Good pretty interesting i mean not not great as far as lyrics it's not like one of those rap songs that is going to stick but it, it's fun you know to listen to it right so, uh, if you're if you're a rap uh, person featuring drake right. life yeah. is good and life is good for us over here at the socal watch reviews podcast so oh yeah <laughs> so far yeah, I, I think the, the, the kevin hart shit like i think a lot of people take for granted like you know what i'm saying because you're doing something like like, just because you're doing it because you like it. Like, for instance, like, we're into watches, you know what I mean? Like, right, a lot right. of people may take for granted, like, it's easy or it's easy to put up a YouTube video. It's easy to, you know what I'm saying? Like, but it's actual work. Right. Especially yeah. when you got other work to do, you know what right, I mean? Like, right. we all have full-time jobs, own businesses, and do this and do that, you know what I mean, with doing watches on top and then like for me personally like i do a, a prince youtube channel you know what i'm saying uh i can't i kind of fail slack on the gaming channel but i'm gonna get back into that this year and i do a watch channel so plus i work i have family wife kid you know what i mean so it, it's a lot of work balancing out everything you know what i mean so i right, think a lot right. of people take that shit for granted yeah they do oh they do so that's it i mean where can they find you fred Y'all can find me on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, MySpace. Okay, now no, I'm just right. <laughs> MySpace network. Okay, but the first one, Shaluso uh, on everything. S H A H L U S S O. If you like seeing watch pictures, watch videos, watch infographics, all that fun stuff, make sure you follow, subscribe, etc., etc., etc. All right, all right, P. Ross Wristwatch Love everywhere, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. All right. And, and what about, uh, well, the Facebook, right? So we, 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 oh, yeah. The uh, SoCal Watch Review podcast on Facebook. Go over there, check it out. It's in the infancy stages again, but we're going to get it there. We're going to get it on and popping. Yeah, you for understand? sure. What's sure? the stuff we're going to be seeing on the Facebook page? Uh, oh, man. It, you know, uh, a lot of cursing, a lot of a lot of foolery, you know what I'm saying? You know, we're gonna put up a, a couple uh fake IWC watches, fake Rolexes. I you like know, that just... video that you did about fake IWC. That was oh yeah. That was yeah, really that good. was that was that was some shit. But <laughs> that's fun. But yeah, no, yeah. go su- go support our YouTube channels. Go support us on Facebook. Uh, and and where we- can they find you? At yeah, absolutely. SoCal Watch Reviews on YouTube, on Instagram, and obviously this podcast. So if you get a chance to put a review on this podcast, please go ahead, support us. Any comment helps. Every- anything and everything helps. So we, we do appreciate it. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we have a lot of fun doing this. So hopefully don't take it too serious. It's just our opinions. And yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you so much. Stay humble. Absolutely. Stay humble, my friends. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Later.